0: You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Her here for your murder mystery world tour, and we are back with more of Agatha Christie's The Body in the Library. You might be thinking to yourself, "Well, why are you doing more of it? You got to the end of the book last week." And that's because we're doing some screen
1: adaptations. <laughs> we're going to some strange places with this one. I take full credit for the insanity that we watched. Yeah. In yeah. preparation for this episode, it's great. Coming
0: <laughs> up at the end of today's episode, we'll be discussing the uh, the Joan Hickson version which I think for a lot of people is the like quintessential mm-hmm. Miss Marple it, from the 1980s yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I know a lot of people also have very high regards of the ITV version which was kind of produced alongside the tail end of the Suchet series mm-hmm. starring Geraldine McEwen and Julia McKenzie but Herds brought yeah. today <laughs> a series
1: called Miss Ma,
0: comma Nemesis.
1: Well, hold on now. It's called Miss Mar Nemesis or Miss Ma Goddess of Revenge, which I like (laughs) much better. It is a Korean uh, adaptation of Miss Marple just in general. Several of the episodes, there's like 17 episodes or 34 because they had to split the episodes in half so they could put commercials in the middle. It's a whole thing. But for the sake of discussion, we're going to act as though there's 17 episodes. Quite a few of the episodes are based off of Miss Marple stories directly, Um, But we follow Miss Ma, who has been sent to jail for the past nine years for the death of her daughter. And Mm -hmm. this story picks up as she finally starts to put together... You know who killed her, and stumbles across all these other murders along the way that yeah. kind of frame the overarching narrative. I,
0: I should be clear before we continue here that this isn't just like based off Agatha Christie. This is a no. licensed adaptation, yes, contracted with Agatha Christie Limited. So it's ridiculous. It's not just like the occasional reference in here. This is this is like all the way in, and it's
1: crazy. To, to be fair, like we watched the Body in the Library episodes but we use that term loosely because really it's a body in a police station. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's so insane. Like we still get, the, the core clue of the of the fingernails, but, like, there's so much other stuff going on, and because we are trying to, like, frame the overarching story, so much of our episode time is spent exploring the character of, of Miss Mar and the people around her and, and the amazing policemen who were put on the case. We're going to have full
0: spoilers on the body in the library, the core text, and its apparition in the show, I think. Yes. But because this is, like the back end of season one of the show itself yep we're going to be pretty spoiler light on the actual narrative arc of miss Mar nemesis
1: oh uh, yeah we'll, we'll do our best but you know it all it all ties around it all ties in together yeah my goodness can we talk about the best part of the entire show <laughs> yes because please. we erroneously watched some previous episodes trying to figure out which episodes were the body in the library episodes.
0: I mean, they they were all pretty great. They were all (laughs) pretty great and probably really good for figuring out what we kind of were walking
1: into. it was great. (laughs) But no, for sure. I mean, we got a lot more context, all sorts of stuff that's going on there in the plot, but there was a character, this policeman, Joe Changil, uh, who is by far the best character on the show. He's the like bumbling police officer who you know isn't oh. really going to solve anything, but he's there to throw around accusations and all the characters and be, oh, why are you here looking at this crime again, Miss Ma? And the way that he, like, he's clearly a physical actor. He's so physical. His facial posture at all times is, like- <laughs> Aggressive. Bemusing. It's it, incredible. Yeah, he's played by uh, Sung Ji Ru, I believe. Uh-huh. Apologies for the the, the Fox pass on these- these Korean names, but we're, we're doing our best. I don't know if we are, but we're doing. We're doing, do, we're doing something. <laughs> um, and he is by far the best part of the show. Uh, whenever he is on screen shoving evidence into characters' faces and like, he doesn't really shout so much. Like there is a lot of shouting in this show because it's like a K-drama, which I'll be honest, I'm not like super into. I know that there is an audience for K-dramas. I mean, listen, outside I heard, Korea, but- if there's
0: anything I've learned about most- <laughs> You know, national derivative drama yes. franchises. You just have to find the one that suits oh, sure. you. And maybe this isn't yours, but don't don't sign off K drama. Just, no, just no, 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 no. I
1: haven't signed off all of K drama. I just want you to know, I haven't tr- I haven't tasted the palette, the full That's spread of uh, K drama. No K drama banquets at Herd's house. Miss Marple is no. late. the quiet old lady who says very little and like this very subtle character motions that push us where we need to go but like a lot of her on screen especially in the like past section which again we won't talk about too much but where her daughter's killed all that stuff like she is screaming and being thrown around and grabbing people's arms and like yeah like the characterization of the Miss Marple character is so incredibly different to what I was expecting
0: but I I think it still definitely has those bits and pieces of her I mean when the police are like interrogating her about what her theory is so far. We still get to see, you know, the glances, the looks. There's one moment where Joe Chungi, I believe even says like, oh, you figured it out.
1: Haven't you? Tell me what you're thinking. And he just feels like he's a fan of the books. Just like, ah, jumping on the moment. I will say, I, I think my, my favorite part of her characterization from a like serious sense is that as she's figuring out the body in the police station murder mystery she's asking these questions of like well what about if it was not actually this person and what did it seem like she might bite her nails but like she looks really sad as she's saying it like she's almost scared to hear the answer to the question she's asking and i actually really like that take on the character
0: rather than just having like an insight to people i think she's using a large insight on her own past yes the the scenes that they use to to show her going around like very so much emotionally between her having like the confidence and the power to just stomp down and say this is what happened you did the crime to her just like being unable to even hold a conversation uh with someone because she's like spaced out in a room <laughs> And it's, it's kind of bizarre the way that it jumps between those two extremes.
1: I'm pretty sure there was a, there was a space out where she goes from like outside someone's house to inside over the flashback that she has as a result of the, the, the space out. It's so bizarre. It's, like, weirdly entertaining, though, I will say. Good grief. One of the
0: things that was weirdly entertaining, and we were disagreeing on this while we were watching oh, the show, oh. Herds, is the way that they've used technology. Because it's set in the modern day. It's, like, 2018 or something this show started. Yeah, 2018. I felt that they'd kind of effectively used the modern technology part of mystery as the precursor for the classic mystery, if that makes sense. So, like, the investigation that Miss Ma is able to go on is on account of the cameras and the fingerprinting and the forensics that has already been done. But you seem to think that that wasn't as effective as I was making it out to be.
1: What I thought was interesting was that we did go through that whole technology, like here are the cameras and the cameras show our Basil Blake stand in. Who's fantastic, by the Who's way. Fantastic. We should talk about him next. We should. I love his sense of fashion and he's always throwing out these English phrases. Anyway, for her to come in and use a clue that real, like there were photos, but like the actual clue she's using, the fingernails look different, is not relying on technology at all. And I think it's a good argument for why we still find Christie mysteries compelling is that the evidence used in those mysteries is not necessarily invalidated in a modern context. Yeah. I think that that's, that's how I felt about that. I liked it a lot. Interesting,
0: Yeah. I thought the other thing, jumping back to Basil Blake, that was great right there, do. is that they kind of tied those characters in a bit more, where he, rather than being a film star and the victim a dancer, they were both like musicians, performers. I mean, one of the cops is even like a, a K pop oh, boy band member, I think. Sounds right. One of them's come back from studying in Berkeley. Basil's like adapted character and he's insufferable and I love him. Uh, and then the replacement for Ruby Keane was aspiring to go and study at Berkeley. So. They've kind of thrown in an extra character overlap
1: there to make Basil both more and less suspicious, depending on how in, into the mystery you are. I mean, he's also, like, less villainous. Like, there's less, you know, I'm taking advantage of you to put you in a movie and exploit you and more, uh, she was consulting me on her, like, music career. Yeah. Which, I mean, could could still end up being an exploitative thing. But I think that especially because of how quickly we kind of wrap up that mystery to get back to the Miss Ma overarching plot, which is- What happens, like, he seems like less of a crook in the end. He seems goofier than
0: in the novel. It's a bit more like he's portrayed at the end of the novel, which is really interesting because they do it right from the start. And got the scene where all of Miss Marple's, (sighs) like, gossipy friends are out the front of his house arguing at him while the police are also there is so silly. fantastic because it's got uh, Jo Gi there as well. He
1: looks like he smelled something foul the entire scene. It's a really great way, I think, of cutting together, because obviously in the novel, you have these two kind of strands of scenes that don't have Miss Marple in them. You have the police scenes, but they're going around and gathering evidence and getting impressions of the suspects, coming to the wrong conclusion in the end. And then you have- the gossipy characters and there's like all these different households that we go through in the book of the body in the library to like show how word is spreading through the village and things are being misunderstood and it makes perfect sense if we're working in a you know a tv show and we have less time to tell the story to blend those two scenes to show both the police and the gossipy characters getting the wrong idea in the same scene The the other thing that was really interesting is the way at the end that
0: they like Portrayed the culprits yeah. because I think that Jersey in the novel was definitely more of the like powerhouse go getter, mm. whereas like we get to the end of this story and her replacement character kind of says like, oh yeah, you know what? I'm not even gonna like discuss this with you. Go <laughs> ask my boyfriend to explain why he did the crime.
1: <laughs> Which was she also like- kind of crumbles during the um the like exposure scene. Where Miss Ma tells us who all the criminals are. It's just it's just one of those things where like the whole vibe I get from this show is that they're trying to balance both the individual mysteries and the overarching story. And I mean, for my personal taste, I think that they spend a little bit too much time on the overarching story. That they could be spending to flesh out the individual mysteries. I mean, to be fair to the show, we were jumping in and watching odd episodes
0: to try. Like, yes, I think this is true. The, the overarching story may be incredibly compelling, and honestly, the bits and pieces we saw of it were like actually really well shot. There were like some fantastic transitions between like flashbacks and present day stuff. Yep, yep. But it is definitely rec- hard to recommend these few episodes on their own. So final verdict before we move on from *Miss Mar* Nemesis, I think probably watch it as a full series. And I'm compelled by what I saw in this standalone episode. Like the adaptation was not (laughs) particularly
1: noteworthy, but God, was it fun? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I think it definitely helped that I was watching it with, with somebody else. You know, I didn't watch this on my own. Yeah. Also shout out to the sound design for being the most yeah. ridiculously hodgepodge production. So blunt. Uh, I <laughs> loved the sound design. I loved every time we heard the like. What, it, what? How did I describe it? Like the reality show stinger of like, someone's betraying yeah, it you. Was,
0: it was like watching reality television. The way that sound design works. But it's a
1: drama. Like it's a fully produced scripted drama. It's ridiculous. I I kind of loved it. Is that how okay drama is? I don't. The
0: dramatic stings in time with people's eyes oh, turning God. was. Mwah terrible it was
1: also perfectly <laughs> awful like perfectly scripted and and put together in the worst way i loved it oh all right oh,
0: let's wrap that bit of the discussion there we'll be back with more of the screen adaptations of miss marple and the body and the library in just a bit stick around you're on death of the reader here on 2ser 107.3 You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. And Herds... Flex... We come with an unusual announcement. <laughs> but not necessarily evil. <laughs> We've been plotting and thinking, and it's been a, a fair while, I think, Herds, since we were live on air together. Live in a studio because of lockdowns and global conundrums.
1: Yeah, but it'd be good to to get the band back together, It be there, sharing the energy... Share the love around, you know what I'm saying? Now, you're listening
0: to this episode either on the podcast or Sunday night at 9pm, and I know that because Thursday night at 9pm, this episode is never going to air. What? Because we are going to be live for the debut of Death of the Reader, Undead.
1: (laughs) Now, it is spooky. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good, uh, slightly more casual time than usual. Um, And we decided to get an opportunity to talk about stuff that we normally wouldn't, like, dedicate three weeks to it's stuff that we wouldn't have time for otherwise like that's gonna be great fun yeah
0: i mean i've got next to me on my desk about like six books from authors who I absolutely love, but we wouldn't have time to fit into the main show because of the the theme of the Murder Mystery World Tour. And I'd still love to get the chance to speak with them.
1: I'm interested in getting into all the TV shows and movies and games and stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know we've just spoken about uh, Ms. Mar Nemesis. I'm sure we'd love to get a bit further into that show because that was a riot.
1: I want to know what's actually going on because we only covered the one mystery, but there is like a storyline arc. Be great to dig into that for a bit.
0: Speaking of ridiculous East Asian dramas, mm-hmm. uh, I have a J drama series I wanted to talk about called The Case Files of Young Kendaichi, mm. uh, which is the fifth iteration of spin-offs of Kosuke Kendaichi, the famous detective by Seishi Yokomizo, who we covered the uh, case of the Honjin murders. Back in the
1: day, that was a fun one, wasn't it? There's so many shows have been recommended to us that I feel like I'd love to sit down and have a go of, mm-hmm. but that I haven't had time for. Like only only murders in the building. It's the one about <laughs> about a, a crime podcast. Apparently, look, we have received so many messages about that. Apparently, we're just like the main characters in that show, which makes me makes me think I I, I like to think I'm a bit like Selena Gomez. <laughs> that's my that's my dream. I should be clear this. This Thursday, 21st of July at 7.30
0: p.m. We are not covering all of the above things. But this is a slate of things we'd be interested in talking about. And one of the things that we do want to do as a live show is we want to hear from you. So we're going to have a live chat in our Twitter open so that you can tell us about your crime conundrums, what you're embroiled in, and uh, send us your questions, queries, recommendations,
1: and unequivocal praise. (laughs) Exactly. I'm sure that's all that we'll be getting. Unequivocal praise. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited to, like, open up a dialogue. We had our old boss, Martin. He used to stop us in the hall all the time to chat about murder mysteries that he'd read. And now he's gone. We need any excuse to bring him back on the show, you know? We should also
0: get our new boss Cameron on to prove if he's actually qualified to
1: solve our impending murders. Exactly. That's a that's a tradition that goes back the last three years. <laughs> and Besides, we always need more victims for the away team. Victims? Yeah. I mean, how else would you describe the, the poor people that we have on this show to solve our murders? <laughs> oh, dear.
0: Anyhow, as I said, this Thursday, the 21st of July at 7.30 p.m. Sydney time. We are going to be live on air for the first edition of Death of the Reader Undead. Look forward to seeing you there.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Should be a a bang old good times, what it'll be. We're going to jump back into
0: adaptations of The Body in the Library in just a second. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour here on 2 scr 107.3. Stick around You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. And we are here discussing, once again, <laughs> the Almighty, the Obscene, the Crazy, The Body in the Library by Agatha Christie. This time, though, Herds, we are talking yeah. the BBC adaptation, the Almighty British Broadcasting Commission back at it again with agatha christie
1: Mm, i was gonna say this would be the last one but who knows maybe we'll return to the body in the library (laughs) next year for the body in the library special where we'll see yet another iteration of the old lady with a tommy gun up her sleeve (laughs) Uh, metaphorically metaphorical tommy gun so Uh, (laughs) this was
0: the first in a comprehensive list of miss marple adaptations put together by the bbc featuring joan hickson as Miss Jane Marple herself. Curiously, uh, though comprehensive of all of the Miss Marple novels, the ITV Agatha Christie's Marple series actually covers more stories because it apparently introduces Miss Marple to a Christie novels
1: she wasn't originally in. What?! Just so they could have us sol- solve more mysteries and have the like through line. I guess so. That's so interesting. I mean,
0: you know, when they had well, I'd love to watch that. Yeah, next. when they had such a long running franchise as Poirot going alongside it, I guess they just wanted to like keep it going for a bit longer. And I mean, kind of keep the, going. Yeah. From memory, they're pretty good, but this was years ago that I watched these. So I, I cannot say with much authority, to be perfectly honest.
1: Yeah. Well, the BBC one was made in 1984. So we're going back a bit. We're going back to the years of quaint comfy, uh, mildly adventurous murder mystery. And can we, can we like get into that? Look, I'm just saying the best part of this entire adaptation is how they kind of, they give as, as you were kind of saying in the, in the ITV version, they like insert Miss Marple into more Christie novels Yeah. in this adaptation, it's three episodes long. So it's like three hours worth of Miss Marple shenanigans. And they, they make her much more of a protagonist alongside Mrs. Bantry. You thought that was the best part. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's bizarre, and I kind of love it that they're like, they're like, oh, let's go stay at the Dade Mouth for a little while. And they like watch the dances. They meet much more of the characters. Miss Marple's like bursting into police officers to say, I figured it out, but I can't quite remember what it is.
0: I, I do want to say <laughs> it, it is fun. I do enjoy it a lot, but it also, I think, is one of the core weaknesses of the story because you know, one of the things you were pointing out in the novel is how how much of a treasure it is whenever Miss Marvel spots a clue and Christy leaves a little note like, ah, small glance from her eyes. But in this adaptation, they like kind of make her feel a little bumbly. She is bumbly. She's
1: like, oh goodness, are this clue, I don't quite know what to do with it. The interesting thing is they did keep in those moments, but the way that they signify it is not just like, a piece of narration because this is a, a an audiovisual media. Yes, yes. Um, and the way that they signify those moments in this adaptation is with this like fairy tale music that yeah. plays, these like bells and chimes to give you an indication that Marple has has figured something out. But you're right; she she does it in a like, very like scatterbrain kind of way. And that's so that they can both – I mean, this is something, again, that we talked about during the novel. They're like That's so that they can have her be on screen and actively solving things, but not just say who the killer is. Because as with the novel, we still keep a lot of the moments where she says, oh, it's like the frog jumped out of the clock. Yeah. And, oh, it's like she isn't real at all. All these little lines that in the book are indicators that she's figured out the mystery very early, but is trying to figure out the right way to approach revealing what she knows – Whereas in this one, it's more like I think I figured something out, but maybe not. I don't know. I I'm a crazy lady. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's it's bizarre. There, there
0: are a few different like changes that they make. Like they, I think they exclude one of the police officers. They like raise the amount of money that Ruby Keen was going. If they um, double it. Yeah, yeah. A hundred thousand. They add like eight extra syllables to the word library every time Colonel Bantry says it. It's amazing.
1: My favorite character. I was not disappointed. Look, we will get to characters I'm sure that I was not so happy with, and I know you you don't like children, so this will be great for you. But yes. hold on. Wait. Colonel Bantry what? is my favorite part of this entire story. I love him, and he gets even more screen time, and you know that the production company is like in on the joke of him being this like military man who's long past his prime because his music theme is a combination of like a a military march and the the baby elephant walk yes oh my goodness yes it is very jungle book (laughs) so good it's very good he's like barely a participator in the story but he's always like saying the wrong thing
0: the scene of him grabbing his gun and going out to to stand around with the pigs was just Wonderful! It was just wonderful. It's so good. I think it, I his it. music is also one of the weirdest things because we were commenting in Miss Mar Nemesis that the like music was the weakest yes. part of that show because of how like blunt <laughs> it was, but the music in this does the exact same thing. But as you were saying while we were watching it, Herds, It kind of just—it's older, though, yeah. It it, right? it fits better, even though they're treating the music the same way. So there's all of these overtop stings, like you know the chimes and stuff that go when she realizes, and all of the character themes. But uh, it it just works better with
1: how much more quaint the presentation is. Can I say it fits with the tone that they're going for—the like adventurous tone—that because in the in the K drama in Miss My Nemesis, like it's all screaming and action and violence and people getting run over with cars. Whereas with Miss Marple, it's, oh no, there's a body. Well, let's, let's go on a journey. Wait, where's that well, body? Where is the body? How many times do you think they need to say body in the library? What, what did it get it's, to? It was it's like eight times. I, I swear we got to nine. It might've been nine. I remember eight. It might've been nine, but it was a lot. And most of them occur in the first five minutes. Which was very funny. But be, because it is a three episode story, right? Um, this is definitely partly for like padding of a sort I, I use this word lovingly to, like, make the time fill out properly. Yeah. But there's a lot of just shots of the countryside and, like, watching characters, like, bike through the village and the police officer, like, forgets his hat. Like, there's a lot of little moments that really don't add anything to the story but add a lot to the character of the village and of the locations that they visit. Um, which I think also works really well. It's presented in the way that I would normally describe like filming in an exotic location as like indulgent. It's good. I I think that the fact that it is a little bit indulgent and takes its time with things is a strength rather than a weakness. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, if you are looking for a more
0: modern, compelling narrative progression first adaptation, this is far from the best choice, (laughs) but it's very relaxing to follow, and I had great appreciation for the faithfulness with which they did adapt it, even to
1: the show's arguable detriment at a lot of times. Well, you, you say that it was entirely faithful, but there were some characters which either A, got more screen time, or B, were inserted into the story that I think we could have frankly done without. Um, do you want to go first, or shall I?
0: I think the example that I want to just get out of the way was Malcolm? Can we please thank Malcolm. you? Malcolm
1: is so bad. He's so
0: bad. Yeah, he's oh. just a very socially awkward character who finds the body in the quarry, which is an unnamed workman in the book. And it just it didn't land. I I de- desperately did not like that character presentation.
1: I don't entirely understand why they included him. It's it's like it's definitely a comic relief yeah, sort of thing. Uh, it's, but it's, uh, it, that sort of representation does not hold up. No, not at all. To modern scrutiny at all. Um, uh, that, yeah. that said, speaking <laughs> of things that don't hold up to scrutiny, children, Yay.
0: uh, Peter, who I forgot in the second week covering the book, I mixed him up with How another, did you forget I, him? I don't know, Herds. maybe as you were saying, maybe I do just hate children.
1: He's the one like <laughs> murder mystery fan. And you were always suspicious of those characters. So I thought he'd stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, he
0: did, but I accidentally rolled him into a different character, which was very, very silly of me. Something that was just really uncomfortable about how slowly they made the children speak at a lot of times was like kind of <laughs> off-putting to me. Like Such when a
1: specific problem, but yeah, sure. When they're talking
0: with Pamela's friend at the end of at the end of the film about like the it's a flashback sequence to what happened to Pamela. Essentially, Pamela's friend and Pamela are talking to each other.
1: Oh yeah, and yeah,
0: yeah. The vignette. The actual
1: cadence of the speech there was just so like lethargic. It's like, I'm going to be in film. I'm going to take, get my photo taken. Like, it just doesn't quite work. No, it was like,
0: especially where it was a scene that was meant to be like this girl feeling excited about her potential future and the tragedy of that moment. It just like really held on that moment. It was so bizarre.
1: There was another inclusion that I thought was a bit strange and that was the inclusion of a a Mozart. Yeah. Yeah song so so miss marple she keeps thinking of this mozart song all the way through yes the three episodes and at the end of it she says oh it was because that girl was dressed up like the duchess in mozart's song uh-huh. but she says it at the same time as the fingernail clue and the punchline is supposed to be so it was all just fingernail clippings in mozart but like it could have just been it was all just fingernail <laughs> clippings like i don't know why they felt the need to punctuate the actual like most significant clue in the novel with the one that they inserted and that really didn't go anywhere or have anything actually to do with the character of of the criminals or the victim or anything.
0: I don't know. I it, it definitely feels as though they were like we we should we should add an extra media to our to our list of clues, which I I think is fair, but you're right in that because they're presented at the same time they do feel like a little Redundant. All juxtaposed. Yeah. I think that's at the same time, I do kind of like that it is a clue that is renowned enough to where it feels accessible, but also like specialist enough. You know, I I couldn't tell you anything about the marriage of Figaro and Susanna's aria, which is the song, (laughs) without having Googled it, which I have. I was going to say. I, I couldn't remember the name. It fits nicely that the dead girl has a character theme that is a clue, I- effectively. I'm sure, that's fine. It's not It's not amazingly well executed, but I appreciate that it's there.
1: I will say I was very happy with how they depicted the assassination at the end. Yes. Uh, it, was, it was pretty close to how we would have done it, which I don't know what that says about either of us, but it, it was interesting that it was very similar. I did want to <laughs> say
0: that Conway pulling the gun up from yeah. under his bed blanket yes. was... The best laugh
1: I've I've had in weeks. Dude, much in the same way that Colonel Bantry the pulls his murder mystery book out I of the covers not. at the start of the film. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the, the Bantry's amazing. are in bed when the the maid comes to c- collect them and tell them about the body in the library. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Mrs. Bantry is like, oh you know, Arthur, I've had such a terrible dream of, of mm-hmm. this thing. And he just pulls this full, <laughs> dense novel out from under yeah. the bed covers. He's like, well, you them. should stop yeah. reading these before you go to bed. It's, it's like, ridiculous. Why do you have that under there? There are far
1: too many murder mystery <laughs> novels in his bed and far too many guns in Jefferson's bed. And I think, uh, you know, I think that makes an excellent bookend.
0: It's great. Anyhow, Herds, we should probably, uh, we should probably wrap this bit of the discussion here and, and uh, bid you farewell until next week when we will be reading the Ghosts of Paris by Tara Moss. <laughs> we're going to be having our good friend Dom from 2SCR on. He's uh, friends with Tara. And we're going to be speaking a little bit about that newly released novel and all of its wonderful crime historical fiction entourage. Also, Slack was the best villain. Oh my God, I love Slack. <laughs> Next week on the show, we will be covering chapters 1 to 12 of Ghosts of Paris, putting Dom to the test in that particular novel and uh before we go by the way thank you for those of you who reached out via the email line or uh, over social media which you can find up at 2ser.com slash death of the reader with hyphens in between those last four words it's really great getting you involved and to that effect really looking forward to having you there with us when we go for death of the reader undead on thursday night 7 30 p.m 21st of july sydney time we'll be back then Looking forward to it, you're on to SCR 107.3